So the reading today is Luke chapter 1, um, and we start at verse 39. Mary visits Elizabeth. At the time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary sang, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. For now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to her ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the word of the Lord. So let's pray that the Lord will speak to us through these words. Praise you, Lord, that you are a God who speaks invited you by your spirit earlier but come in increased measure as we engage with your word praise you for <clears throat> mary's lovely humble acceptance of your call on her and as we think about this great song that she sings speak to us and fill our hearts with a song of praise for you and we ask it in jesus name amen now, with apologies to those who are here last week in the morning, I'm just going to do a very quick introduction to Luke, because for the evening service, this is the first in the Luke series. So just, just a quick introduction. Um, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Uh, we had this right at the beginning. This is Luke saying what he's doing. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, says Luke, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Theophilus may have been a real guy. Um, his name means God lover, or he may have just represented anyone like you and me who wants to know more about God. But it's certainly the case that Luke is writing for anyone who reads this Theophilus could have been his patron, and it could have been for him. Uh, he writes the second volume of his history in Acts, uh, also to Theophilus at the beginning. But here we are as a group of people who love God, wanting to know more about Jesus. And Luke tells us he's investigated everything carefully and has come what's been handed down from eyewitnesses. We know that Luke was Paul's companion and spent at least two years, possibly a bit more, in Israel, round about 50 AD, 
uh, while Paul was in prison, Luke was free to go all the way around, meeting people, talking to people who could give the eyewitness account of what happened. So he's clearly met Mary, and we hear all about her story, and she tells him about Zechariah and Elizabeth, and he's met all sorts of people we don't meet in the other Gospels, not least Zacchaeus, or the centurion, or some different people we'll meet. He's, he's a really good theologian. Uh, and when, when there's ever been any archaeological discoveries, particularly of things in Acts, they've always backed up what he's said. So it's been, he's, he's a reliable fellow. Uh, as I say, we're doing Luke's Gospel for four terms, roughly six chapters a term, uh, heading f- for Easter 2024. And the whole thing is our purpose, we agreed a while ago, is following Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. It's written above my head. And the idea is we're taking this time to really follow Jesus. It's easy to read the familiar bits of the Gospels, and there are bits that are harder or difficult that we don't engage with. So we're not going to miss any of this out. Uh, We want to make sure we get engaged with the real Jesus. Uh, So here endeth the introduction. Uh, This morning, so last week I was preaching on Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, This morning Andy was preaching on that famous carol service passage where Gabriel comes and tells Mary she's going to have a baby. Her baby will be Jesus. Um, And Andy was preaching about what God is birthing in us and how we're called to bear Christ to the world we live in. Now, I love the point Andy made this morning, that Zechariah had asked for a sign, and because he didn't really believe what Gabriel had said, he was struck dumb. Uh, Next week in the morning, his mouth will be released, and he'll burst forth in praise, but he's still got another week dumb, uh, as far as we're concerned. Mary didn't ask for a sign, but she was given one. Uh, Here, verse 34 to 37 when the angel Gabriel says that Mary will have a baby. How can this be? Mary said, I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. So Mary has been given the sign of this relative, a distant relative, Elizabeth. Elizabeth is an older lady who couldn't have a baby, uh, and she's in her sixth month. We know that she's a distant relative because this is news to Mary. And uh, Mary hurries off to the hill country of Judea, uh, we read about. Um, And so that is kind of around Jerusalem, Bethlehem. Mary's up in Nazareth. It's a long way. Uh, She probably had lots of relatives all over the country, but it was news to her. And Gabriel suggests she goes to go and see Elizabeth. Uh, so she goes off to see Elizabeth. Uh, and this is what happened, as Chloe read to us from verse 41. When she comes into the house, when Elizabeth, who was six months pregnant, this is the old lady who's going to be the mother of John the Baptist, when she heard Mary's greeting, the baby, that's little John the Baptist, leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now Mary hadn't yet been told, uh, sorry, Elizabeth hadn't yet been told what Mary was going to tell her. The Holy Spirit's come on her, and she knows that Mary's going to be the mother of the Lord by the Holy Spirit. It would have been the most encouraging thing for Mary. She's had the angel tell her, She's probably just a teenage girl. She's going to be pregnant. 
She won't yet know if she's pregnant, but she'll be a bit worried about what will happen when it, when it, when she finds, when it happened, when people find out. And there she is, she goes to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth prophetically confirms what the angel has given her. That is hugely, hugely encouraging. She stays three months there. The last verse, Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then returned home. Well, Elizabeth was six months pregnant. Um, she presumably stayed to see witness or be there for the birth of John the Baptist and the party because Mary's telling us all about what happened then and Luke's telling us he's got it from the eyewitnesses. So Mary presumably is there. John the Baptist is born. Uh, Zechariah's tongue is released and she heads home. Now, I just want to, before I get into Mary's song, say how encouraging it is when you spend time with someone else who shares your faith, particularly if you're going through a difficult time. Uh, Gabriel has suggested to Mary that she goes off and spends time with Elizabeth, and this is just what she needs. God is at work in Elizabeth's life in dramatic ways, and this would have been hugely strengthening to Mary before she goes back home and her tummy grows and she's found to be pregnant, and she's not yet married, and all the disgrace kicks in. God has prepared her. Uh, we're not meant to be solo followers of Jesus. We need others. So if you're not part yet of a prayer partnership or a prayer triplet or formation or a small group, please, we'd love to try and connect you in. We need each other. Mary needed Elizabeth at this time. Uh, we can share good news with each other. We can learn to pray and engage with the scriptures. Again, come and chat at the welcome desk afterwards and uh, tell us what you're looking for. And we'll try and link you in together for some other group of Christians that you can share what you're learning. If you're not yet a Christian, uh, take the Alpha thing and uh, come and come and join our next Alpha course next term. That's a really good place to explore there. So Elizabeth is there she encourages Mary they encourage each other and she celebrates Mary's trusting in God verse 45 she says blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her and Luke has sorry Luke's just told the story of Zechariah who hadn't really believed it and here is Mary who does believe and her faith is a beautiful thing and as I said last week, Luke is writing this that all of us can put our trust in Jesus. It's not just information. It's there to help us believe and put our trust in Jesus for everybody. The older man, respectable Zechariah, the younger woman, ordinary of no position, Mary, anybody in between, old or young, male or female, rich or poor, respectable or not, Jesus is for you and for me. Uh, so there's a bit more, not quite the introduction, a little longer bit as we're heading for Mary's song. Do spend time with other Christians. When you get the chance to spend an extended bit of time, Mary had three months. You may not be able to leave your job for three months. Uh, uh, some of you might. But I want to encourage you to think about coming to New Wine with us in the summer. Uh, New Wine used to be a whole week. It's now four or five days. But even so, spending four or five days camping with the church family or if you like living in luxury in a B&B off-site and driving in it's really good just to spend that time with people and a chance to talk and think through what's going to step out of the normal every day Mary steps out of her normal every day and God ministers to her okay so let's get to the song uh, Luke 1 is a bit like going to a musical 
You get a bit of the story, and then someone bursts out into song. Then you get a bit more of the story, and then someone else bursts out into song. That's what's going on in Luke 1. If you like musicals, it's your chapter. Uh, you get Mary bursts into the song, the Magnificat, one of the most famous Christian songs of all time, set in evening prayer by the Anglican Church. Those who follow the formal evening prayer we have the Magnificat, uh, Mary's song, week by week, day by day even. And then next week in the morning we get to Zechariah and when John is born and he names him John, his tongue is loosed and he bursts into song. Uh, musicals are fabulous. I don't know if you like musicals or not. I'd have, uh, I've got a very good friend called Tim. Uh, we were best man to each other. Uh, I was really into bat and ball sports. He was really into musicals and I didn't get it. Uh, and uh, he went to work for a school and put on a musical and I went to see it and I still didn't get it. And then I went to my first London musical. I took Juliet to see 42nd Street. It's the first London musical, and I got it. It's fantastic, and we've loved them ever since. They're just they're brilliant. Anyway, Luke 1 is a musical. If you like musical theatre, this is what it's about. And she bursts into this fabulous song. And there are three themes I want to pick up for us tonight. There's her joy in what God has done for her. And that's the one we'll I'll major on. There's God's grace to the humble. There's a kind of reversal of fortunes. The poor, the humble are lifted up. The rich are sent empty away. There's this, the proud are cast down, the humble are lifted up. There's a whole humility theme that God loves to bless the humble. And there's the note that God is fulfilling his promises. Now Luke is sounding this note again and again and again and again through the first chapter or first two chapters of his gospel. Uh, Gabriel's come to Zechariah and announced that uh, the baby that Elizabeth will have will be, come in the spirit of Elijah, the forerunner to the Messiah. Uh, the Old Testament's been looking forward to this for such a long time. It's been over 400 years since the end of the Old Testament. There haven't really been any prophets, certainly none that are recorded in the Old Testament. They're, they've got these great promises that the Messiah will come. And yet they're overrun by the Romans. But there's still at this time, 2,000 years ago, a kind of expectation that God would break in with the Messiah. And here says, here Mary's song rejoices that God is going to fulfill all these promises. So the last couple of verses of her song, verse 54 and 55. God has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. There's a theme here that God is faithful to his promises. This is really big. Now the Jews were, they expected that when Messiah came, that would be the end of this age, he would usher in the age to come and all would be wonderful. Now clearly that's not how it's been since Jesus arrived. And it's a, one reason a number of Jews don't believe Jesus as the Messiah. But we know that Jesus came in a two-stage fulfillment. He came that first Christmas to inaugurate the kingdom of God. He taught, he healed, he revealed God's love, he died on the cross, he rose again. He poured out his spirit. Uh, the desire is that the whole world hears this good news. One day he will come again, and that will be the end of the world as we know it, and everything will be restored and then there will be this perfect new creation that's been perfectly recreated. So what the Jews of old thought would come all in one go, as it turns out, is a two-stage fulfillment. And we live in between those times. 
There's a now to the kingdom of God. It has broken in. Jesus is alive, uh, but a not yet. So we live with these frustrations. God sometimes heals, he sometimes doesn't. We still struggle with illness and death and suffering. When Jesus returns, they will all be gone. So just as the Jews of old were waiting for the Messiah to come that first time, we are waiting for God to fulfill his promises to come again the second time. And this season of Advent is a real season of looking forward to when Jesus comes again and his promises will be fulfilled. Now Mary sings in this song that God has not forgotten his promises. He's remembered Abraham. He's remembered his descendants. He's fulfilling his promises. And there are over 300 promises in the New Testament that Jesus will come again. And he will come again uh, as surely as he came the first time. But there are so many more promises in the New Testament. Uh, when I was a child, we, had, we were given promise boxes. How many of you are old Christians who grew up with promise boxes? About two of you. Okay, three. These are special things. Okay. Uh, so this is what old Christian families of a certain tradition had. Little box. Probably mine had sort of gold paper around the top of it. I don't know Carly's did as well. There we go. And you had little scrolls and a pair of tweezers. And at family prayer time, you'd put the tweezers into a scroll and pull one out and read the promise. And there are so many promises. And it became a basis of prayer. Great thing to do. Um, we ought to bring those back again. This high-tech age, we ought to bring back something really low-tech. The kids would love that. Anyway, here are a few promises for you. I'm, there are thousands in the Bible, so if we quoted them all, we'd be here all night and I'd miss the second half of the football. So here, anyway, here's just four of you, four for you. Here's the end of Matthew's Gospel. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You ever prayed, God, where have you gone? Where are you? Jesus promised to be Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God is with us. Beginning of Matthew's Gospel is Emmanuel. The end of Matthew's Gospel, I am with you always. He's with you, whether you're aware of it or not. So thank him. Hold on to that promise. Uh, what about this wonderful verse from Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where the risen Jesus says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Lots of people have come to living faith in Jesus through that verse and the wonderful picture of Jesus, the light of the world. If you're here tonight or listening online and you're not yet a Christian, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. And if you, as it were, open the door, if you say, Lord, I want you to come into my life, please forgive me for what's wrong. Come in and help clean up the mess. And I want to follow you. Here is a promise. Anyone hears my voice and thought, I will come in. My godfather, uh, who's, uh, who died this year, his funeral was this year, he, uh, he became a Christian as a student, and uh, he, he prayed this prayer, come in, Lord Jesus. Then he prayed it again the next day, then and again. And he wasn't quite sure, and then he started to know the difference. But he always said, but I know now he came in the first time I asked. I just didn't know. It's a promise. I will come in. Here's another one. John 6, 37. I love this. Jesus says, all the Father gives to me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. You're coming to Jesus, and you're wondering what sort of reception you'll get. And Jesus says, I will never drive you away. You say, ah, oh, but I've been a terrible sinner. He says, I will never drive you away. You say, I've completely messed up my life. 
Jesus says, I will never drive you away. You say, but I've lived with this sort of secret sin for ages. Jesus knows. He says, I'll never drive you away. Whoever you are, you come to me. I will never drive you away. These are wonderful promises. And Mary is celebrating that God is faithful to his big promises to remember Israel and come send the Messiah. But he's also faithful to all these promises, he says to his people. Uh, I love this one. I don't know if you've got the U version of the Bible on your phones or iPads or whatever, the Y-O-U. It's a free version of the Scriptures. You can download any version in any language on that. Brilliant. Got lots of Bible reading plans. I saw this week they had a verse of the year. Did you see this? This is the verse that more people have highlighted on their U version. So it's in all over the world now, this amazing, it's fantastic church in America that put all the money into doing this and gave it away free and it's being used all over the world. A verse that has been highlighted more than any other this year, especially in Ukraine. You'll see why. Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. There is a promise. Whoever you are, whatever you're going through, God says, do not be afraid, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you. Now, there are many more promises. My first Bible that I got once I'd bowed my knee to Jesus as Lord when I was 18, I used to highlight all these promises. That was great. But then I got to the point where I was reading it, I only noticed what I'd highlight and I missed the rest. So I got one and I didn't highlight anything on it, so I come to it fresh. But it does... Now we give you a journal and you can write things down. It doesn't really matter how you do it. Learn these promises. When you encounter a promise, learn it. Mary knew the promises of old. And now she knows they're going to be fulfilled. She is full of joy. Uh, Let's move on. Uh, That's one theme in this song, that God keeps his promises. Here is a bigger theme in this song. God lifts up the humble. So let's read from verse 46 to 48. Mary says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Have we got a bit more? No, that's it. That's where it stops on this one. That's fine. Oh, we have got some more verses. 51 to 53. Here we go. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but he's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but he's sent the rich empty away. There's this great reversal. The proud and the wealthy and the arrogant wind up missing out on all that God has to give. The humble who come humbly wind up receiving. Jesus had his strongest criticisms for the proud Pharisees who we know we've got it all right and actually they'd completely missed it because they were so proud. But the humble God is gracious to. And this Magnificat, this wonderful song picks up on lots of Old Testament promises. Uh, But if you were to Google the word humble or humility you find that this sort of golden thread that runs the whole way through the Bible that God wants to bless the humble. Jesus came looking for the humble. 
And as we go through Luke, we'll find Luke has a particular heart for those who are poor and outcasts and in a humble state. And Jesus particularly shows his love to them. He cares for everybody. He loves the rich as well. It's just that the rich are so often too proud. But anyone who comes to him humbly, he lifts up. This is partly because this is who Jesus is in himself. Uh, I'm going to show a few verses about humility just to really drive this theme home. So Matthew 11:28 to 30, uh, you get another promise from Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I nearly put this one in the last section, but I thought it was coming up here, so we'll hold it back. There is a promise. You weary and burdened, come to Jesus. Take my yoke on you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is the only place in the Gospels where Jesus tells us what's in his heart. He is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and he's humble and gentle in heart. And when you approach him, he's not all high and mighty. He welcomes you. He says, come to me. It's a lovely thing. Uh, later in Luke's Gospel, we'll meet a verse like this, Luke 14, 11. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Be very careful. When things go well, it's very tempting to get proud about what we've done, and if only everybody else was more like we were, it'd all be fine. That is a dangerous road. God opposes the proud, and he will humble us if we're like that. But when we humble ourselves, we'll be exalted. You get it in the Old Testament. Here, for example, Psalm 18, verse 27. You save the humble, but you bring low those whose eyes are haughty. Almost exactly what Mary says. Uh, or Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is what God's looking for. And you get it throughout the New Testament. Here's three, just quickly, examples. There are many more. Ephesians 4, verse 2, Paul says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Uh, Paul says to the Philippians, chapter 2, 3, and 4, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but looking to the interests of others. That tips us off what humility is about. Humility is not thinking too little of yourself. It's not really thinking of yourself at all, because you're thinking about others. You can be realistic about your own gifts, but actually humility is thinking about others, not thinking about yourself. And last one, 1 Peter 5, 5 to 6. Same idea. In the same way you who are younger submit yourself to your elders, all of you, Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Well, Mary is the best example of this. She is one of the great Christian heroes. Andy was saying there's a danger from the one hand of the church to sort of put her up on pedestals. No, she's an ordinary, normal human being. But there's a danger on the other side to ignore her. Mary is one of the great Christian women of all time. Uh, given a demanding task, unmarried mother in that day and age. An extraordinary privilege 
to be the mother of Jesus. And yet Jesus said, whoever obeys my word is my mother and sister and brother. You and I can have the same closeness to Jesus as Mary had when we engage with his word and obey what it says. So there's the second theme, humility. Fulfillment of promises, humility. And then the biggest theme is just joy running through this. If this was a musical song, it would burst with life and fizz. Uh, it, I, I really struggle when I go and hear this chanted in plain song because I'm not sure that's how Mary did it. This is a burst of life and joy at all. Now, I'm sure that's how some people express their joy, so I don't want to be down on them. But this is the... We're going to finish the service with a version of the Magnificat, the old hymn, Tell Out My Soul, which Ellen has put a bit of a beat to. So we can sing this with, with a bit of joy. That's one of the great, great sort of hymn versions of the Magnificat. Uh, here is wonderful joy, for example. So there's, Mary has accepted Jesus. Just think back to the Annunciation, verse 38. She had said, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. She's accepted. What's she thinking? Oh, help, what have I done? How's it going to work out? But she goes to see Elizabeth, and Elizabeth prophesies over her, and she knows God is good, and she has three months there really growing strong, and she bursts into song. Uh, here we are. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. It's a wonderful song of praise. It's all praise to God. She puts herself in the song, but it's not because she's great. She acknowledges herself as humble, but God is great, and it's full of joy. Now, I've been reflecting on my Christian journey this week. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, uh, my dad was the vicar of the village where I grew up, and for a 10-year-old boy, the services were pretty dire in that village. Um, they were lovely adults, lovely Christians, but it just didn't help. Um, and I went to a school chapel where everyone was my age, and no one really believed it, so that didn't help either. Uh, when I was 18 at university, I encountered living Christianity. In fact, just before I went up to university, I'd been on a scripture union camp, and someone had said to me, Jonathan, do you believe it's true? And I've been torn two ways. I kind of knew it was true, but I hadn't ever really seen... I'd seen joy in my parents, but I hadn't really seen it an expression of Christianity the, other than that scripture union camp for a week every summer. I didn't connect following Jesus with joy. But I knew it was true, so I bowed my knee to Jesus as Lord, and I was bowled over by the joy that came. It's a bit like C.S. Lewis, who wrote Surprised by Joy as the title of his autobiography. I'd, I'd not wanted to bow my knee to Jesus, Lord. I thought that would be restricting, and it turned out to be the most joyful, liberating thing I could have done. Well, not many years later, just a year or two later, I found God calling me to be ordained. I really didn't want to do that. I thought, that's really stupid. Um, that's hard work, and they don't pay you as much as you can get elsewhere, and for goodness sake, I'm not doing that. But eventually I came clean with the Lord, said, if you want me to do this, make me want to do it. And three months later, I found there's nothing else I want to do, so I got ordained. And I found huge joy and delight in serving God in this way. I'm much more like Zechariah, 
who God says this is going to happen, and you think, really? Uh, I'm not nearly like Mary enough, who God says this is going to happen, and she says, okay, and she's full of joy. I was dragged kicking and screaming to become a Christian, but then I found joy. It took me a while to agree to what the Lord was calling me to be ordained, but then I found joy. Well, then you have your three years at Vicar Factory, and you have to find a curacy, a place to be a curate. Um, and I found the Lord funneling me to go to Chesterfield. Well, I'm a proper southerner, and I thought that was in the wastes of the north. Um, little did I know it wasn't even in the north. It was only as far north you go before the north starts. It was still Midlands. But I was, I was looking for one church in the south into charismatic renewal that I could learn. I wound up with three churches in the north with robes and processions and all sorts of stuff, but it was where the Lord wanted to meet. And guess what I found there? Joy. Juliet uh, and I got married in those years. Our first son, Thomas, was born, and we loved it. Absolutely loved it. So then I was looking for my first vicar job, and all the jobs I thought would be right for me, I didn't get and was turned down. And there was one particular job in Hinkley that I kept being invited to, and I thought, I'm not going there. Don't want to go there. You would have thought I'd learnt by now, wouldn't you? But eventually we went, and guess what we found in eight years there following the Lord? Joy. Real joy. We loved it. You really would have thought I'd got the message by now, wouldn't you? Until we then found the Lord nudging us to apply for the job here at St Paul's. And I'm still like Zechariah after all these years. Somewhere is my application form in the days when you write it by hand rather than type it. Why do you want to come to St Paul's? And I actually put, I don't. <laughs> I want to stay where I am, but we think God's calling us, and if he is, we'll come. And we came, and guess what we found here? Joy. So we've loved being here, and uh, not where to go anywhere else. And in recent years, God has called me to let go of a lot of the ministry I've loved doing here, and now I've joined General Synod. I've, every five years, people ask me to do it. I thought, I'm never doing that. Go to General Synod. Guess what I found there? You got it, Joy. I'm becoming area dean, and that's the job I really didn't want to do. And I'm finding I'm loving that. You would really think I'd learnt by now. Mary nails it first time. God calls her, she accepts, there's joy. I'm more like Zechariah. I get there eventually, and there's joy. And the point I want to make is that when you follow the Lord's call on your life, there will be joy. It will be costly. It always is. It was for Mary. It has been for me in small ways. Uh, nothing like Mary. So a few years ago, as the church was going, I realised that my prayer life was just woefully inadequate to sustain leading this church. So I went and signed up for an Ignatian retreat. This was a retreat in daily life. So uh, the full thing was a 30-day silent retreat. I wouldn't have lasted more than a day and a half on that. But you can take the 30 days and do them in daily life where you spend a week doing what you would do in a day in a retreat centre. So the idea is that you meet up with a, uh, a retreat leader, a spiritual guide, and they give you Bible verses and you follow Ignatius's discipline. Um, and I thought it would take 30 weeks. I was clearly in the remedial class because after two months, my spiritual director said, OK, I think you could do this. We might be ready to start. And then each week took two weeks at least. So it took about a year and a half uh, but it was a fantastic thing. One of the things Ignatius says in following God's guidance 
he uses two words, which I struggled with the words, but I'll tell you what they were. One is consolation, one is desolation. His, his consolation is when you're on track with the Lord, you will feel a joy and an energy in what you're doing. That's what he means by consolation. When you're doing stuff that isn't what God's calling you to do, you will find a lack of energy or a lack of joy. That's what he means by desolation. And over these recent years, I've been watching what I found joy in. Um, I've loved leading Alpha courses down the years, but I reached the point where I was, I realized there wasn't the same joy, and it was time to delegate to hand those on because God had other things for me. So the longer you've walked with the Lord, the more I would encourage you to pay attention to where's the energy. But this is something God can give by his spirit at any point. So as you're discerning, there's this good thing, there's this good thing, what's the Lord calling me to do? I can't do it all. Then look for what's bringing you joy and energy. And when you're doing something which is perfectly good that other people might say you should do, but you find there, there isn't, you know, you're a bit drained and it just doesn't bring life, then maybe that's not what God's calling you to do. Now, that's not the whole story obviously, because Jesus calls us to pick up our cross and follow him. But in general, this is a really important spiritual principle, that as we follow God's call on our life, there will be joy. Even Jesus going to the cross, we read, for the joy that was before him. The cross was obviously horribly painful, but he went through it knowing there was joy ahead because of what he was doing. Uh, and Mary's song just resounds with this great joy. Uh, so lots of you, I know, have plenty on. Your diaries are full. Uh, look out for where the joy is and where, you, where it's not there. Maybe God's calling you to hand that on, to let that go. That's one of the lessons from Mary. So let me come into land. Uh, a couple of questions. Do you know what God's calling you to do? If not, please do pray about it, talk with others about it. If you do have a sense of what God's calling you to do, please be more like Mary than me. Uh, just go with it. Say yes. I'm the Lord's servant. And you'll find the joy comes, even when it's a costly thing to do. What is God birthing in you, Andy asked us this morning? Is there something he's leading you to, into? Maybe a major shift of direction. It may be a small thing. It may be just... Deciding, okay, I'll take that response form and offer some time into the... I'm not quite sure how it will work out. But I know that when you do that following the Lord, there'll be joy. Uh, where is God calling you to bear Jesus? On your front line, at work, at university, among your neighbours, among your family. And the whole way through, trust his promises. These th God will fulfil his promises. Where, where we read a promise in Scripture, this is something to learn to write out, to make your screensaver, to write on a postcard and put it on your fridge, whatever it is, learn them. I want to finish with this verse from 2 Corinthians. Um, got the reference here somewhere. 2 Corinthians 1, 20 to 22. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. So through Christ, the amen is spoken by us, the glory of God. Now it's God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, he set his seal of ownership on us. He put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what's to come. This is Paul saying the same thing. God promises things. He delivers them. He'll fill you with his spirit and equip you to do them. 
This is what Mary discovered, and this is the joy of following Jesus. Let's stand and we'll pray, and if the band would come back, uh, we'll sing again as well in just a moment. So I'll lead in a prayer and we'll just be still. Lord, praise you for Mary and her humble acceptance of you, your call on her life. Forgive us for times when we've not trusted you. We've been too worried about what would happen. Pour your spirit down and give us grace to follow where you lead. And for some of us, that will mean stopping doing things and doing other things. For some, it's continuing exactly what we're doing, trusting you. Give us grace, we pray. So we're praying before the service. Uh, someone had that song, This is my desire to honour you. And we say, Lord, with Mary, we're your servants. We want to honour you. So come, Holy Spirit, and speak to us. Let's just be still for a minute. there have been many words tonight, but we pray that what's from you, for each one of us, you will establish in us, you'll bring it back to our minds, you'll lead us to write it down in our journals or however we capture it. Speak to each one, guide us, lead us, and bring the joy of serving you in the way that you call us to, wherever that is. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together.